I'm here talking with Abed, who is in a, a unique field for these interviews from what we've been doing in the past, since he's working with a direct response uh, television company. And this is not the sort of company we've, we've been had the, the fortune to talk to before. So, um, Abed, maybe you can uh, pick it up and tell us a little bit about who you are and what your company does. Yeah, um Again, my name is Abed Abusala. I am the Executive Vice President of Longform Media for EuroRCG. So I head up the uh, Longform Television Buying and Planning Division for our agency. Um, we do approximately, as an agency, a little over $500 million a year in both television and online advertising. Um, of that, about three, about almost $400 million of that is television, direct response television advertising between long form and short form. And when we when we determine long form, long form is an infomercial that lasts 28 minutes and 30 seconds long, um, whereas a short form commercial are the things that people are most commonly used to seeing as ads, which are 30 seconds, 60 seconds, or two minute advertisements. Um, we place media in every major, in every media market across the country as well as on every national cable. Um, we actually started at the agency, it was 17 years ago, it was actually started by Steve Nestle and John Shearson, which was two guys out of their garage. Um, and then since then, we've had 17 consecutive years of growth, and we anticipate that we'll do a little over $500 million this year, um, which will be our biggest year to date. So that's just a little background on the company and kind of where we are and who we are. Well, you, you answered a bunch of my questions before I even got to ask them. Okay, sorry. <laughs> very, no, that's very good. Um, so you, I've never heard the term long-form television or short-form television. I mean, that sounds like a copywriting term for when we're talking about copy. Um, is that what you mean? Is long form means so 28 and 30 seconds, 28 minute, 38 second spot, and then short form is a 15 or a 30 second spot? Yeah, it's exactly what it means by long form and short form. Long form, basically, the purpose of a long form advertisement is when you have a product. Um, that needs a little bit more explanation than you can accomplish in 30 seconds, 60 seconds, or two minutes. For example, if you're doing a lead gen, some, if you're doing a lead generation spot for something where you're saying call to find out, um, you know how you can, you know, ch- you know, refinance your home today or something along those lines. Those are messages you can pretty much accomplish in 30 seconds, 60 seconds, or two minutes. Obviously, that's a generalization of a much bigger category. Long form is where you more have a product that needs – you need to basically build the offer and the unique selling proposition for it, where it takes the full 28 minutes and 30 seconds broken out into several pods to explain the product that you're selling. For example, if we're doing something like a vacuum, well, there's thousands of vacuums on the market, but some of our clients that are bringing vacuums to the market, they have a unique selling proposition. For example, um, it's a self-cleaning vacuum where you can just pull out the <clears> – <throat> You know, the dustpan at the end without the mess that you have with vacuum bags. Or it's it's a power level that's much higher than any other vacuum on the market. These messages usually take longer than a couple of minutes to explain, and they definitely take longer than a couple of min- minutes to sell. Yeah, right. All right. Um, but long, does, does that, that thought, the, thought, the term long form and short form, does that come from uh, sales letters and, and copies? Um, you know, I actually don't know the origination of the name of long form and short form. The industry itself, I know, started, you know, there used to be until 84, Reagan deregulated the airwaves in 84. Um, and at that point, you were only allowed to run eight minutes of commercials in a half hour. Um, when he deregulated the airwaves, obviously, you were allowed to run 30 minutes of commercial in a half hour. And 
at the end of the broadcast day for stations, they were running, you know, the American flag or, you know, snow or something like that. So marketer came up with the idea that they went to these stations and said, let me give you my half-hour program, run it instead of the blank air that you're running now. Um, and that's pretty much how the, gen- the how the industry was built. The name long form and short form, I don't actually know how they came out with that, except that obviously 2830 being a longer format than short form. Yeah, right. Okay. Um you mentioned you do 400 million online uh, on on TV, and then 100. Is that that's, that's assuming 100 million dollars a year online? 100 million dollars a year is online in production. We also do we produce the long form and short form shows that we run. Uh, we don't produce all the ones that we run, but we do do several of the shows that we run on air. So 400 million of our 500 million is just from our TV media placement. Um, can you talk about how much you actually do is, is, is just online, like online lead generation or online sales? Um, online lead generation, I don't know those numbers. That's not Those aren't divisions that I'm familiar with um, as much as I'm familiar with the television um, side of the business. Um, but I believe that our production probably is in the – I think they're probably split evenly between production and the online services that we provide, the last $100 million of what our of what our gross billings are. That's really interesting. So you're taking clients that you work with in – on TV, and then you're bringing them online and doing some of their online stuff for them. Very much so. Very much so. The, our, our belief is that the industry is basically shifting that direction. You're seeing a lot more people that are actually doing their transactions online um, and less people that really want to pick up the phone and talk to a telemarketer. So integrating the online capabilities into your TV ad campaign, we feel is not only it's the way the industry is heading, but it's essential for most people's success. So, um, will your company be doing, let's say, in, in another ten years' time, are, are you going to morph to become both an online agency as well as a, as a TV agency? Absolutely. I mean, our, our plans are to develop the online agency to the point that it's as big, if not bigger, than our television agency in the future. We feel that the true growth of the agency will be in the online side, um, more so than it will be on the, on the television side. Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, I'd love to ask you more questions about the online stuff, but is that, that's not really your focus, so I should talk more about the TV side? The online side is not really my expertise. I mean, I would basically be wagering a guess at most of your questions, so it probably wouldn't be the best use of your time. Fair enough. So you're not a computer geek. You're one of those normal people. You just watch too much TV, huh? I'm a TV junkie, absolutely. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I, I want to ask you a question. I, I mean, there's a... Um, the, the campaign that ran for a long time, maybe you can tell me some dynamics of this, the one that annoyed, I think, every single person in, in the United States at least ten times. And I've forgotten the actual name of it, but the one where it's, you, the, 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 you rub it on your forehead and, and, then, and then it makes your headaches go away. I've forgotten the name for it. Head on? Head on, yeah. That actually wasn't a direct response campaign. Head on was It really actually... wasn't. I mean, it was certainly a, a strong branding campaign. It was a huge branding campaign. That actually was never direct response. That was straight branding. Um, it was probably one of the most annoying spots on television, but um, that's one of the few that doesn't get associated with our industry, luckily. Huh. So, I mean, tell me, I mean, the, the, the dynamics of a campaign like that, how is that even allowed to run? Doesn't that just annoy people and make them crazy and, and, and force the station to pull it off the air, or is, was it just like crossing the line not too, too much that it was allowed to continue? I mean, how does that actually work? You're out there buying media. You know, for the most part, you know, as far as stations go, it, annoying is never a reason for them to, to not take media dollars. The only times that I've ever really seen them reject shows or take things off the air for reasons 
you know, for their choosing. Is content or if they if there's something that they're airing is offending a viewer um, or is not considered up to a standard and practices that they want to have on their air. While that commercial was annoying, you know, we also, we, uh, you know, for example, there was that Dr. Scholl's Are You Gelling commercial, um, which was all over the place. And while it was annoying, it got the job done as far as branding the message, and it wasn't offending people as far as the content was something that wasn't made for TV. So the so, head-on yes. campaign, was, that wasn't pulled off the air. Was that, is that still allowed to run if they want to run it? It's still running, actually, on the air. It's not as big as it was, um, but it's actually still on the air. So if they're doing that as a branding campaign, I mean, how are they, uh, how are they uh, calculating their ROI on that? It's not being calculated on ROI. Head-on is not direct response. Head-on is straight branding. It's actually not being booked by a direct response agency. I don't know who's booking that campaign. I mean, we're not. Um, but head-on is not a DR campaign. It is just a branding campaign. So there is no ROI metric to that. So they, they, take, they took a big bet. They spent a bunch of money on, on nationwide media coverage, um, and they may or may not have made their money back. And you, I guess if it's still running, then they made some money back, but maybe they didn't do as well as they'd hoped, but it was enough to keep it running. In most cases, those companies tie the advertisement placement and dollars to the uplift that they see in retail sales. So my mm-hmm. my guess would be, and I don't know anything about the company, that if they're that successful, that if they're still running this commercial, which they are, they've probably been able to tie some sort of lift at retail into what they're right. doing on the in the advertising campaign. Whereas had you been running that, you would have said call to action at the end, get people on the phone, ordering packs, and then look at also that list at retail. Absolutely. What I, we probably would have done is probably do something where you can call and get a free sample, um, call and get a coupon to take to your local retailer, something that we could track to see where the response is coming from, and that way we could optimize the media to see if it's playing better in certain markets, if it's playing better locally or nationally, um, if there's certain regions of the country that are particularly strong, um, something that we can get an idea where the response is coming from, and then tie that back into retail sales and see if the TV is having the impact that's desired. Yeah, absolutely. So, so okay, let's move on to that point. When, what do you look for when you're working with a client? I mean, let's say if um, my friend down the street who doesn't know much but, you know, he's got his home video camera and, and shoots a little infomercial comes to you and says that he wants to, to run something, how do you know to turn him down? What do you, what do you look for in a client of, of a guy that you do want to work with that's just doing dumb things on his, on his camcorder and, and a serious guy that you know is going to work? How do you, how do you know, how do you decide who you accept and who you don't? You know, there is no perfect screening process for that. You know, there are there are times where, you know, people are just trying to throw something together together and get it on the air, but you never know, you know, you really never want to burn the bridge in this industry because what we've found is that a lot of times when people come in with a poor product or one that we know probably doesn't have a very good chance at success, those people are committed to the process. So while their first show fails, Oftentimes, those first show failures turn into people that then meet other people in the industry. They get themselves with a better producer. They get themselves with a stronger team around them. They develop and find a better product. And oftentimes, their second or third forays into the space are much more successful. So we really don't want to burn that bridge with somebody. Um, you know, Even if the product may not look great or it may not be perfectly matched for DRTV, it would be rare, very rare for us. Sorry, excuse me. Sorry about that. That was my cell phone. Is your phone or you got a disco in the background there? 
<laughs> now it's my ringer. Uh, yeah, which which does sound like a disco. Uh, so it's very rare, honestly, for us to turn down a campaign because you really never know which small fish end up becoming the giant fish down the road, and it's it's not good business sense in our sense to burn bridges with anybody. But not burning bridge. I mean, will you, so you'll take and test any campaign, or um, you, you you won't test them because they come back with the next thing. The, there are certain things that we won't test that cross a barrier of what we know the stations will allow. For example, there's a lot of people that will come to us with Girls Gone Wild knockoffs. Um, they want to be the next Girls Gone Wild. We turn those shows down. Um, there's not a huge place for that in the marketplace. It's a lot more headache than it's worth. Um, it's just not a type of product that we really want to be associated with, so we do walk away from those types of products. Um, the only other reason that we would possibly walk away from a product would be a client that doesn't have the funding to even run a media test. For example, they're like, I put this together and I want to run a $500 test. Well, to us, that's a client that's not well-funded. They're not really seriously looking at their test. They're just trying to throw something out there and see if it sticks. We would probably walk away from something like that. Um, but otherwise, we would test most things. If somebody comes to us with a five to $10,000 budget and a show that's produced and they're, you know, they're really looking to see if it's viable, the answer is, yeah, we would probably test it. Um, there's very few things that we really look at and try to walk away from. Uh, no, that's really interesting. So let's say I've, I've produced my show, and we'll talk about that later because I haven't got a clue how that works, and I think most people don't either. But let's just assume that we've magically got our show, we're ready to, and we're giving it to you. Um, and you, what do you, what do I, let's say I come to you with 10 grand for a test. What do I get for my 10 grand? What you would probably get for your $10,000 in tests would probably be anywhere from 15 to 35 airings. Uh, most of those on a budget like $10,000 would air in local broadcast markets, probably smaller ones in the southeast or midwest. Um, you probably wouldn't be on New York or L.A. or something like that, and you would be on very small national cable stations, if any. Um, the idea is to get as many data points as possible on proven stations that have worked for DRTV um, to see if the show is at all viable, because if it works on those stations, then now we can go into other stations and expand and see if it has a chance. The likelihood is if the $10,000 test fails on those stations because they're so vetted carefully to make sure that they have proven history, that if it fails on those, t on those stations, that you're most likely not going to be able to have a campaign you can be successful with. And at that point, people usually go back to the drawing board or go in to rework their show. So you're, uh, how, how, what's your level of confidence? Have you ever had um, shows come on where you've done a 10 grand test like that and then um, it's failed, but then the guy's gone and found another way to make it work somewhere else and then it did actually end up working? Or you, do you have rock-solid confidence that that testing is accurate? What we've, it is, I cannot think of one instance where we've tested a $10,000 test on a show that failed and then somebody took that same exact show to another agency and then rolled out. Because what we really do is do tried and true stations that are proven on a bunch of different levels, that are proven on different categories, direct response. Um, they're the strongest stations in the market, and we do a pretty good job of researching where those shows should test. Um, the only times I've seen that happen are a $10,000 test that has failed. They've done a complete rework of the show and then tested somewhere else, and then those, some of those clients have gone on to success. Um, but for the most part, if they take the same exact show somewhere else, we're very confident that it won't work there either, no matter who else they go to. What's the minimum? What's the minimum reliable test you're comfortable with? Is it ten thousand? Is it five? It's about. It's probably about eight to ten thousand. Right. And okay, so tell me about getting a show produced. I don't know anything about that. I guess you don't do that. But how much do I have to pay to get a show produced? You know, it depends. There's there are hundreds of producers, literally hundreds of producers in the in the 
industry that do it. Our agency, if you wanted to get a show produced through our agency, a half-hour show, I mean, realistically, you're probably looking at probably three to $600,000 to get a show produced, um, which is something that we'd be willing to work on. I mean, there's a lot of production costs that go in that, a lot of talent fees. There are producers in the industry that will do it for a lot less money. Um, some of them have had success, some of them haven't, but obviously the quality of the videotape is different. Um, they will cut a lot of corners as far as really getting a bare-bones production done. Um, and there's some clients that produce it internally that can probably get a show produced for under $50,000 um, that's set up very much like a CNN news format where you just have one set, um, two people talking, and it's basically two or three cameras on them at all times, and, and then they edit the show later. So there's a wide variety. I mean, you can get shows produced for as little as probably thirty, forty thousand dollars, and I've seen shows that go up to a million point two in budget. Let's say you're an internet guy. You've been doing pretty well. You're doing thirty to forty million dollars a year. Um, you don't know the first thing about where to start on TV, but it sounds really interesting. And you've got products that are working well. How do you? How do? Who do you go to? And how much are you realistically? I mean, are they are they going to be having to say that they're going to spend six hundred grand to get their their first shot produced, even though they don't know about TV? Or can they can they reliably do that CNN type thing and do it that way? Or how should they get started? I would, what I really think is it's product specific. If you're talking about something that's a fitness product. Fitness products tend to run more expensive because there's huge clinical trials that you do on it, or you're watching you're watching testimonial groups for several months at a time, um, and then you got to you know you have to do double blind studies, you have to do a lot of those things to at least validate what you're putting on television. So, and then you know the, the weight loss programs, those kinds of things, the before and afters, the location shooting, that's where it starts to get expensive. If you have a very straightforward product um, that's fairly explained, you know, fairly easily explained through something that you can do in a talk show format. Or you can do in a you know in a limited you know keeping the expense lower. My recommendation to anybody that was looking at direct response is that unless you're familiar with the business, I wouldn't invest six hundred seven hundred thousand dollars in an infomercial out of the gate. I would try to get it produced for as little as possible. The only thing I would suggest is that you spend your dollars wisely. Talk to everybody you can possibly talk to, agencies, producers. And see what they have to say so that you're making an informed decision. For example, if somebody comes to us and says, well, I want you guys to help me, I also recommend that they talk to three or four other agencies. I want them to know what the market has in store. I want them to know other opinions out there, and I want them to work with us because they feel like we have the best ideas. Um, so what I would definitely say is that talk to some experts and let them guide you, but talk to several different people because most people, they, they, they present a slanted view that will get you to work with them, and then they'll explain to you, oh, you need to do this or you need to do this. I think if you talk to a variety of people, you get a better perspective on the overall industry, and then you get an understanding of what you're walking into before you do. Well, that's done it. I was going to work with you, and now I'm not. You know, and, I, and that's, I, I'm okay with that, to be honest, because I really don't think that it should, you should just get one perspective. And what I've often found is that clients that talk to three or four agencies often come back to us and ask them to do the work for us, whether it's production or media. Um, in some cases, they may find out they find a production partner they're more comfortable with that can do it cheaper. But at least they appreciate that honesty that I give them those choices, and then they usually come back and want to run their media with us. All right. No, that's, I mean, that's, that's the right way. Um, and so why don't you, to that point, I mean, I looked a little bit through your site through this call. Why don't you tell us about some of the clients that you actually currently do have? Um, we currently right now are, if you look at Jordan Whitney and IMS, which are two tracking services that rank infomercials nationally on a weekly basis, 
we are basically between of the top 25 infomercials on IMS, we're booking eight of them. And on Jordan Whitney, of the top 60, we're booking 22 of those shows. Um, we estimate that based on our average spend, which we think is probably – our average media spend right now is about $5.1 million a week in long-form billing alone. Um, and the industry, we think, is probably right around 15 to $18 million a week. We're approximately 30% of the marketplace. Um, some of the shows that we work on are like Europro, Body by Jake, um, Kodak, um, Six Second Abs, uh, Melted Off with Mitch Gaylord, um, Contour Abs, Works GT. Um, some of these are the best you know, direct-to-consumer products that are out there, um, and they're extremely, extremely profitable shows, or I mean, at least popular shows with the audience that spend you know, very good amounts of money. Um, we also work with a lot of the business opportunity stuff, like, you know, like Dean Graziosi's uh, program that we're working with, The Real Estate Millionaire. Um, we work with you know, the Better Trade seminars. We work with the Russ Whitney seminars. Uh, we work with the Dynatech seminars. I mean, we, we do... We have a wider range of clients, um, and it's a pretty diversified agency. There's not one client in our agency that represents any more than 8% of our annual billing. Um, okay, so you've got some pretty good clients. You work with Billy Blanks. We do. We do work with Billy Blanks. Does that mean you go and like, meet all these guys? you know Billy? Uh, I do not personally know Billy. No, Billy Blanks runs his programs through a marketing company called Gaim, um, which is based out of New York. So we, our client is actually Gaim, who bought the rights to that and runs his programs for him. Um, the new Billy's Boot Camp and then the Tybo shows before that. Um, in some cases, I will meet the talent in the shows, um, but in most cases, usually we work with the marketers that represent that talent. Right. So that's interesting. So in most cases, it's not the talent actually doing the show itself. It's, it's more a marketing at company that does it, and then they hire in the talent. Very rarely will the talent be the person that's running it themselves. In some cases, there are people that um, the talent is, in fact, the you know the owner or the CEO of the company. But in most cases, the CEOs find somebody that they really feel matches their image, that really believes in the product, that really acts as a great spokesman, introduces them into the show, and may have an interview. The CEO or, or president of the company may be interviewed on screen. But, um, yeah, rarely, usually they have talent that they bring in independently. <laughs> so a guy like Dean Graziosi is a little bit he is. I mean, Dean Graziosi is, you know, one of the few people that actually, I mean, Dean manages every part of that process. I mean, he's an entrepreneur to the point that he manages his media, he manages his sales staff, he manages his call center. He's probably one of the most hands-on CEOs I've ever probably worked with. At the same time, he outsources all, too. I think he only has, like, five employees, and then he just works with companies like yours to do the heavy lifting. You know, with him, I mean, he keeps a core group around him and that he really tries to work with the best in class in all areas so that he's surrounded by good people. Um, and it's been a very successful formula for him. I mean, I think the numbers speak for themselves there. Yeah. So what is your role with, 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 with Dean Graciosi, for example? How do you, how do you, I mean, does he call you up every week and say, how do we do and all of that stuff? Are you his only media buyer? Are there other companies doing it? Like, how does that actually work? Uh, I believe Dean actually works with a couple of media buyers. I think he works with us and one other media buyer. But, yes, he is the guy that calls me up and says, how did we do last week? Um, what do we need to be doing going forward? What does the next four weeks look like? What do I expect? Because he needs to take that information, develop basically a projection of how his show is going to do, and then staff accordingly on his sales staff. 
That's interesting. So, and um, can you maybe tell us about some of the other clients and how you interact with some of those guys? Um, you're talking about specifics now? Yeah, any, or anyone that you feel comfortable talking about, or even just a general case of how it works. This is just, I'm, I'm maybe not asking direct enough questions here, but this is just so new to me. I, I, um, I don't understand the interaction. I mean, I understand media buying on the internet. On the internet, we just have a campaign, we give it off to a guy, and then he monitors the numbers, and we check them periodically, and we pay bills. Is it well, the same he, on TV? He, it, it's, it's similar on TV, except in direct response television. Everything you do is infinitely visible to a client. They can know, they know within 24 hours of the airing how it did, how much money it made, how much money it lost, um, you know, how many orders they got from it. They know within 24 hours. Most clients know within 30 minutes. They have online visibility to their call centers, the people answering the calls, and then they have a media schedule obviously from us. So they can know inside of 30 minutes how much money they made or lost. That type of relationship really defines the relationship between client and agency. Because our clients have such visibility to what they do, they're very much interactive in what we do with them. For example, they, they're very involved in the decisions we make. They know the day of the airing how it did, and they want to know what you're going to do if it worked to get more of it going forward or if it didn't work to make sure that they're not exposed for any more of that media going that way. So it makes for a very fast-paced and sometimes high-stressed environment because your client, you know, you never have a chance to breathe in the fact that you have to keep up with your clients who are getting information almost instantaneously and are obviously looking at it as, you know, the lifeblood of their business. So if an airing does poorly, their business did poorly for that span of time. Um, and some clients, you know, most clients love that fact about it, that they're so involved and they can see they have so much visibility to what they do. Um, as an agency, you have to, you know, you have to manage that and realize that your clients see and hear everything. Um, and you need to make sure that you're often, more, that you're more informed than they are. Um, and to do that, you have to really be on top of your game at all times when you're managing a TV television account. Yes, right. So a guy like, uh, with any of these guys, I mean, when you say they know within 30 minutes, does that mean, do they, do, are they, who does the matching of the media buying and then tracking that back to results? Are you doing that or are you just doing buys and then they're then um, doing the, the, saying how much this media buy was worth and whether to continue or not? Who, who does, who makes those decisions? We actually, we actually do that. On a daily basis, we actually source, so we find out how many orders came in, where they came from, and we figure out which media those, those orders are attributed to. We develop their overall revenue for that spot, their overall cost per call, their cost per order, um, and we source that so that they can see it and then provide it in a report for them, for example, to say that yesterday you ran a, you know, you spent $5,000 on these five stations and you made $15,000 and here's what stations did well, here's what stations did poorly, and here's what stations are on the bubble. So they can see that on a daily basis for the day before how they did. So why do they even need to talk to you regularly? Couldn't they just check in like once a week or once a month and that's about it? Uh, technically they could, but most people, most people are very active in the businesses that they run. I mean, you're dealing with a lot of entrepreneurs. And if you know about entrepreneurs, they, you know, they're not hands-off type of people. They're very hands-on type of people. They want to know every detail of their business. Um, you know, no matter how big that business is, you'd be surprised that because TV is driving such a huge portion of their revenue, they're actively involved. They'll call me on my cell phone at home 
and say, you know, I just saw this spot go off. It didn't work. How come it didn't work? Um, or I just saw this spot go off. It did phenomenally. How can I get back on the station? Um, you know, they very rarely sleep. They're very intricately involved. Um, and honestly, those are the types of clients that we work best with because, you know, their passion and our passion usually comes up with a pretty winning formula. Right, so you kind of, they're they really watching things, and they're kind of helping you as well, and you become a team to help figure out how to improve the media by overall. Absolutely. In some cases, they know their number better than I do. So, for example, if they spend $1,000 on a spot, right, they buy a spot for $1,000. The spot does $1,500 in revenue. We may look at that and say, okay, when you build in their cost and their cost of goods, that spot probably broke even to maybe lost a little bit of money. So that's the visibility that we have to what they are. We're looking at it and saying it's probably close. They may look at it and say, you know what, it was close. Um, we want to keep going with that. We're, we're not losing money. We're not making money, but we're going to work on a couple of things in the show to try to make it better. We're going to try to tweak the offer to make it more appealing. We want you to keep going with that spot, even though it was just on the border. Um, that's a very inter- important part of expanding a campaign because a lot of media comes in right on the border. So you have to have that discussion between client and agency to say, yeah, it's on the border, but I want to go forward, or you know what, it's on the border, I want to avoid it, I want to limit my risk right now. That's a very key part of a successful DRTV campaign is the client and the agency both caring a ton about what that business does. So if I care about my client's businesses and then, you know, they're, they, the more they know about my business, the better, the more I know about their business, the better. And that means that we actually understand how each other works and we have a successful partnership. If I just said, don't worry, you're, you know, don't worry about it, give me your money and, you know, go away, well, that's not a very comfortable feeling for them. And in a lot of cases, I may miss things that they could be letting me in on um, that gives me a better idea of their business so I can make the proper decision when I'm working to put the media on the books. How do you split test? Um, you, you mentioned that it might be break-even and then they're going to improve things. But, I mean, is it just a straight A-B test that you run? I mean, well, you can't really – do you run it in one city and then not in another city? Or how does that actually work? Um, you, you can, and I don't, I don't quite understand the question, I guess. Well, you want to, let's say you've got a spot that, that's break even, um, and the entrepreneur has told you that he wants to change some things on it and make it better. Well, how do, okay, so let's say that he, he, he comes up with three versions of the spot. How do you, how do you, how do you know which one's better? Do you, because you can't run it on half the TV stations in one city. You, you run it on, you run one version on one city and one version on another city, and how is that an accurate test? Well, sometimes what we do, and we don't do that, what we do is that we'll build it, do it over a two-week test. In a lot of cases, what we'll do, there's, there's several different ways to test a show. In some cases, if we're going to test it in one week, in other words, we want to keep all the variables the same in media time, what we may do is that run, let's say, KCOP in Los Angeles, we may run a spot on Saturday and a spot on Sunday. The spot on Saturday will run version A. The spot on Sunday will run version B. Then we'll test on WNYW in New York, and the spot on Saturday will run version B. The spot on Sunday will run version A. We can do that throughout the country because most of these stations have multi-days of paid programming. So we, we can, can sometimes combine a Saturday to a Sunday or a Tuesday to a Thursday. And if you vary that and alternate it enough over the course of different stations, you'll actually get a fairly accurate read on which offer is stronger. The other option you have is to run one week of media, let's just say $10,000 in one week, and then the following week, 
on one week on version A, and then the following week run a mirrored schedule with version B. And then at the end of two weeks, evaluate which one did better, and then make a decision which version you're going to go forward with. Hmm. Very interesting. And that's, yeah, I mean, that does sound reliable in the way they're explaining it. Yeah, and that will give you an accurate test. Yeah, right. I mean, we do a lot less fanatical about testing online. Um, I think it's probably a little bit easier for us to do it online, but... Um, because um, yeah, we can track a lot more. Well, your tracking probably is, is good. We actually have trouble tracking sales accurately sometimes, but the, the way you're describing that, we can do some of that testing a little easier. Um, and trackability on trackability on TV has seemingly been more accurate than trackability online. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, how about the legal environment? Some guys push the edge with stuff stuff they run on the internet. Um, you know, maybe they just put something up and have it take off and. Uh, and then run into SEC issues later on. Um, what do you what do you look at in terms of compliance issues before you'll take something on TV? You know, it, it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting line. And what actually for a while there was no regulation of that, and it was a problem in the industry. And I think you saw a lot of things go very much unchecked, and basically made it an un- unfair compa- an unfair environment for those shows that were doing it the right way. Um, the ERA, which is the Electronic Retailing Association, which is the body that basically governs the industry, actually developed the ERA self-regulation board. And in that case, shows are submitted to the ERA, to the self-regulation board, for basically approval. Um, and they work closely in ter- they work basically closely with the government. They have a, I think they're a liaison to the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission. Um, and any shows that are deemed to be questionable usually are submitted to ER, to the self-regulation board and then either changes, the show is either asked to be pulled off of air or changes or substantiation is asked for um, on the shows that are running. And I think that that self-regulation board has actually made a huge difference in the way that the industry is run because there were a lot of shows that were really crossing lines with claims that were putting a black eye on the, on the, on the face of the industry. So let's say, let's say I want to run a show and I've made it totally non-compliant. I'm, I'm just lying, lying over, none of the claims can be, can be justified. If, if I come to you and want to run that, are you going to run it? No, I won't, actually. Uh, if you have no claims or no substantiation for the stuff that you're running on air, um, it's it's really a terminal relationship at best, and that's something that we'll probably walk away from. I mean, for example, if you're going to put a diet pill on the air that says, yes, lose 1,000 pounds in an hour with this pill, um, we'd probably walk away from that. You know, to be honest, unless you have some claims or some double-blind studies or something that you can show me that, yes, this is a true product and a real thing, we're not in the business of making the industry look worse. We really are trying to run things that, you know, that make the industry look better. I really do believe that a rising tide helps all ships. Okay, so if I, if I come to you with the, the thousand, lose a 1,000 pounds in one hour diet pill um, and so I'm presenting that to you, how does that conversation go? You're going to, be say, you're going to say to me, well, Adrian, you know, can, you, can you show us some documentation of your claims? Um, yeah. Can you show us some, some double, double bill results? Is that, is that the sort of stuff you're looking for? Absolutely. Do you have any substantiation for the claims that you're making? Um, do you have do you have testimonial releases for the claims that the things that people are saying in the show? Um, you know what types of things? You know where did you come up with the information from? If it's something that just looks completely over the top, um, it's not something we really want to get involved with because the likelihood is that even if the show goes on air and tests well, um, it's going to be short lived before somebody raises their hand and says this is completely false, and then you have to bring it all down. Um, so it's not – we're looking for long-term relationships with our clients. So if you don't have any substantiation um, or 
any you know any validation for the stuff you're saying on TV. Um, we would the conversation would go very simply. Look, I I really wish you the best of luck with this show. At this time, the agency is really not really to engage in this, um, you know, because there's no substantiation for what you're saying on television, and I just think it opens up a lot of wrong doors for us. Do you, do you ever ask um, companies to like an opinion letter from an FCC attorney? Um, no, I don't. I, we don't ask for that. The the self regulation board will. Um, they will get a. They'll get an opinion letter. They actually handle most of that stuff once it's on air. Um, if there's things that people may raise their hand, there may be things that we don't realize out of the gate that are issues that somebody else will find with the show and then say, "Hey, wait a minute, this looks wrong to me." Right. Okay. Um, okay, so when you go um, do do actually media buying, like how do you buy media? How, what kind of? I mean, you you call up a station, you go and buy media. Like, how does CPMs work? Do you do you, do you not pay more than a dollar CPM? Are there markets where you'd be willing to pay a hundred dollars CPM just because it's, it's such a tight match? I mean, wh- where does that range go? The cost per thousand model is really more of a general rate television advertising. I want to get this CPM. I want a $7 CPM or I want to hit, you know, I need this many TRPs or GRPs. That's really more of a general rate advertising model because in that case, when you're looking at branding, you're looking at eyeballs. I want to brand my product. I want to hit as many people as possible and make as many impressions as possible. Direct no, I mean, response. On the internet, we talk about CPMs and we always back those into CPAs. And so my understanding, if you work like an internet media buyer, you're going out and buying on a CPM basis and then backing in that out to me in a CPA. Is that not what you're doing when you buy on TV? We don't buy it all on CPM. Nothing. We don't, that, oh, that's, that's, we don't do, do that. it at all on CPM. It is supply and demand. What we basically work off is a database, and we have um, a little, I believe it's over $2 billion or $3 billion in media history in our system. We have a tracking system that we use. On that, at every station we've ever run, every rate we've ever paid, and how the shows have performed, over the past 17 years, what we've developed from that is a target rate by station of where things probably work, where the majority of your products have the best chance of success. So what we do when we're negotiating with stations is really try to get the media at a rate that makes sense for the products that we have um, and for how that spot performs. Time periods have a value, um, and infomercials are not rated. So there's no way for them to know how many people are or aren't watching. So the only thing you can default to is response. You know, this time period traditionally has this much response for this type of product. It normally responds to this type of dollar figure at this type of product. So that's how we get a rate understanding of whether the spot's worth 300 bucks, 500 bucks, 1000 bucks. That's how the entire industry negotiates time. They don't negotiate on eyeballs. They negotiate on historical response, which is why a brand-new agency that's coming into the market is at a distinct disadvantage because they don't have that history. So in a lot of cases, they don't know if a time period is fairly valued, undervalued, or overvalued. So, so you go to a station and say a thousand dollars, and and you, I mean, the station is trying to sell that slot for either fifteen hundred dollars or five hundred dollars, um, and you can negotiate based on your history and how that that particular slot has traditionally performed. Is that accurate? It is, but in a lot of cases, you you bring up a very good question. To be honest, if a station wants to get fifteen hundred dollars for a time period. And we're offering $1,000. Why would they sell it to us and not sell it to somebody else? In other words, why don't we get priced out of the market more often than not? What you have to realize is that the, the demand in this industry fluctuates so much one week to the next based on response and show strength that it's a very unstable environment from a station side in a lot of cases that sometimes you'll be getting $1,500 offers. Another week you may be getting $500 offers. The advantage that we have is our size. 
Stations inherently would like to be with people that are stable and have a multitude of shows. Because if they sell to an agency that just has one show, when that show stops working, that agency has no choice but to cancel the media and say, oh, take it back, go sell it again. Well, stations don't like reselling the same inventory two or three times. Why would you want to do three times the work to get paid the same amount? So what they try to do is work in most parts with agencies like us. That's our, we are the biggest long-form advertiser in the country by far. I mean, we probably do 50 to 60% more on a weekly basis on long-form media than our closest competitors do. So that's a very good argument to make with the stations. And the biggest part about that is we do that year-round. We're not heavy in the first quarter and light in second quarter and third quarter, which are traditionally soft. We're heavy year-round. So a station looks at us as a long-term partner and says, okay, I may be selling it for $200 less on this spot, but I have a more consistent client that will go through the next six to nine months with me. I won't have to take the huge rate drop when, you know, you know, by building a relationship with them, I can work out a rate that makes sense as we go through the more challenging times of the year. And I have a stable partner that I know is going to pay me on time, that's going to be there all the time, that has many shows so that if one show fades, they can put in another one. Those are the types of things that stations look for. They look for consistency and stability. And an agency like us offers that. And in a lot of cases, that size and that stability really affords us a nice price discount when we're buying inventory. And so then the bottom line to back to these spots, are they, are they, are they auctions plus relationships? I mean, is there a bidding system? Is there like a version of eBay where, where these slots are actually put out there? Like, how does that actually work? About 10% of the spots are sold via auction, just like you're describing. Highest bidder gets the spot. I would say probably maybe 5 to 10% of all spots are sold at auction. Relationship p- plays almost no part into that relationship. I very much like to avoid those stations because, frankly, their inventory is usually overpriced. The other 90% of the industry is not sold at auction. It's sold on a package basis or an incumbency basis, which means that agency A had these spots, and they have the first right of refusal as they go into the second quarter on those spots, depending on the negotiation and where we come in that. Um, Basically, blocks of time are allotted to agencies on most of these stations, and those agencies, as long as they keep them for the quarter, usually have the first right of refusal as you go into the following quarter. So um, is, is the industry going to go that way to an auction format? I mean, that's what we're used to dealing with online, and it's, it's brutal. Um, and as soon as someone else can pay more than you, you're done. Is, is that likely to happen on TV? I would hope not, um, because I think what we'll, the reason I don't think it will happen is that on those 10% of the stations that are doing it that way, the demand for those stations has fallen significantly um, because they're almost impossible to make money on because they're priced over market value at this point. Now, as long as there's people willing to pay the rates, yes, that will happen. If the whole industry goes into an auction process, I think it would be very bad for the business, very bad for us as an agency, and most importantly, really bad for the clients. Well, for people that can make it work, it'll, it'll work fine for Maybe that maybe that also indicates that there is a real demand for an auction platform out on TV. You know, I there hasn't been a huge. You know, when the auction process, when the auction, when the stations that have gone to auction have done that, there's been very much. De- I've actually started to hear them coming back now and saying that they get a lot of demand in Q1 and Q4, and they're desperate to sell the time in Q2 and Q3. And at that point, the auction process, our bids, I know, are extremely low, and they do clear in Q2 and Q3. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's, it's an interesting question. It's an interesting development that we're watching closely because, frankly, I mean, I would think that it would not be in the industry's best interest to go to an auction process because I really think that the majority of clients will get priced out of the market. 
Hmm. Right. Um, what do you think of, like, um, how, how do you compare with Mercury Media? Do you do the same as them? We do do the same as Mercury. Um, Mercury is a little different. We Mercury Media is probably about... I don't know what their I don't know what their billing numbers are, but the latest estimates I've had are probably about half our size, as far as long form goes. Um, maybe you know sixty percent of our size. Um, they're an outstanding agency. They've been around forever. I mean, they're one of the one of the you know the industry leaders for years uh, in this space. Um, I have a lot of respect for that agency. Um, but from my latest understanding, I don't believe that their size that they're the same size that we are. And so the where I know them from is um, I've seen them on some infomercials they, that they've been doing the buying, I guess, for Guthy Ranker. Uh, they are one of the agencies that buys for Guthy Ranker, yes. Oh, do you buy for Guthy Ranker as well? Uh, we do a little bit of media buying for Guthy Ranker. Um, I know Guthy, I think, uses three or four different agencies. They have very they have different projects, um, some long form, some short form. I know they use um, they use different agencies. I don't know how many they use, but I know we do a very small portion of their buying, but Mercury is one of their major buyers, yes. What's the industry perspective of Guthy Renker? I mean, are they the 800-pound gorilla in terms of an advertiser that does things really well, or are there others that are better than them? They've been the gold standard, as, I mean, for many years in the industry. I mean, they've had, I think, more top 25 shows than any other marketer. Um, they are probably they are the 800-pound gorilla. I mean, they've really found a formula that's been successful for their business, Um that I think, you know, the company has done extremely well and, you know, they've, you know, they've really been an outstanding marketer. I mean, it's, I think they're the 800 pound gorilla that everybody in the industry would love to work with. I mean, it's amazing. It's just like two guys that run and own the company, aren't they? And they're doing a billion dollars a year in revenue. You know, they've, they've hired, I mean, you know, I think it's, uh, Bill Guthy and Greg Renker, I believe that's the two names of the guys there. They are, I mean, obviously innovators. I mean, they're, they're probably two of the most remote, most respected people in the industry. Um, they've also surrounded themselves with a brilliant marketing team and product development team, um, and, you know, sales team. I mean, they're, you know, I think they've, they've put a lot of pieces in place, um, that have really enabled them to have the kind of success that they've had, which has been tremendous. Um, is there anything that we haven't talked about you'd like to talk about? Uh, no, no. I mean, unless there's something. I mean, I, I, I've, I'm hoping I've kind of given you a little bit of better perspective on what DRTV is like. Um, but I don't know. If, and you may have some questions still or some gaps that I could fill in for you. Um, I mean, you've answered. I guess the, the one thing maybe would be interesting to know is uh, what are the kinds of um, things that you tend to see that work best on TV at the moment? You know, business opportunity, automotive, finance. What, what are the areas that um, you're most excited about and you see the biggest growth for, for television? I think the, I think the, I think consu- I think housewares and hardwares have had a major comeback in 2008. Um, you know, things for the house, the vacuum cleaners. I mean, you've seen a lot of those um, lot products for your lawn, like the hedge trimmers, um, workbenches, the drill sets. Um, you know, this industry had been dominated so long by business opportunity and fitness. Um, and you're starting to see a diversification in the space, and I think that's good for the industry. Um, you know, computer electronics, those kinds of things are starting to emerge again. Um, and I think that's good for the business because we were so fitness and business opportunity heavy. I mean, to the point that it was, I mean, it was almost like 
60% of what the media billings were with either business opportunity or fitness. I just think we were too heavily relied on that. I think those categories got saturated. Um, the, it's good to see the consumer goods and the housewares, the hardwares, and the electronics come back. Um, because I think there's a lot of demand for those products right now, and I actually think that that'll be part of the growth of the industry over the next two years, which uh, which I think is good for everybody. I think it's good to diversify. Does those come back because of consumer demand, or is it because the entrepreneurs have figured out new things to sell? Um, you know, in more cases than that, I think it's come back because business opportunity shows, most of them, especially the seminars, um, like the come to this hotel and learn how to trade stock, learn how to trade real estate, that industry at one point, was over probably 150 to 200 million dollars a year in television spending on long form alone. In just the seminar business was 200 million dollars a year in its height of spending. They were paying inflated rates in some cases for that time, but they were they had such a huge appetite for media buys that it almost artificially inflated the rates and it pretty much priced out the direct to consumer products that we were doing. Um, you know, it was almost like you couldn't, it was almost like the consumer goods and the electronics and the hardwares and the housewares, they can't compete with the rates that a seminar can spend because they're only going to be in the market for 10 days, so they have to have this much media, they have to do this, et cetera, et cetera. That industry has probably decreased and has probably downsized by about 80% over the last year and a half. I mean, especially with what's been going on in the mortgage space, and you've seen the real estate shows pretty much almost go away. Um, with the stock market being kind of, you know, turbulent over the last 12 months, you've seen those stocks. You know, the option shows, the Forex shows. I mean, you've seen them all go away, um, you know, with the exception of two or three that are still remaining. Um, and those two or three, I think, are the most sensible ones out there, and they're, they're not paying inflated rates for time. Um, and the industry has almost come back to a, play, fair play, a more fair playing field for the rest of the people that are trying to purchase time there. Yeah, right. Very good. Um, we've actually seen that same dynamic on the Internet. Um, it's, uh, there's been various changes with new forms of, of selling things online that come out, and it just wipes away all other categories. When these things through, 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 it's pretty interesting to watch. It's interesting here that happens on TV, too. Yeah. Um, I'm done. I'm, I haven't got any more questions. So if you don't have anything else, then uh, we should wrap up. All right, you got it. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you.